My name is Chiete Sixteen Guevara. I am the host for tonight for the open mic that we have a lot of incredible writers and a lot of talented people that is in our community, in our circles coming in. I'm going to go ahead and uh, get this started and I'm going to kick it off with a poem that I wrote for my daughter. It is called, To the Daughter I Haven't Met Yet. Dear daughter, I want you to know that this is the hardest thing I'm about to do. I'm going to write this for you in hopes you will understand someday. Dear daughter, I want you to know that I am a first-time father, and I hope you can forgive me when I make mistakes. But I want you to understand that I do not want to because you are the most precious thing to me, and I want to do right by you. I do not have to be the richest man, the smartest man, or a powerful man, but I want to be your daddy and be the best I can be for you. I will try not to yell if I need to talk serious with you. I will try to listen to you, no matter how small or big the things you need to tell me. And this includes the important stuff and the silliness that you spin. I will try to smile more often in your presence and laugh with you. I will try to understand you and be understanding of you and not be quick to judge or to punish you. I will ask of a lot of things of you, and it may not seem fair, but I want you to understand that not everything is hard to do, and some things come easy. And all that I have to do, and all I ask of you, is to be your best and succeed. I will not try to be afraid when it is time to let you go, when you want to do something on your own. And I don't think I'll be ready to, but eventually I will because children, they do grow up. I will try to teach you right from wrong and not be boring about it and lead by example so you understand. And finally, I will always love you and have open arms for you and be your best friend when you need one. No matter how angry I may get or how bad you are, I will still do these things for you. And sometimes I ask that you do the same for me. Dear daughter, I'm getting a little scared of what this world will offer to you or will want to take from you, but I will stand by you and hold your hand, and neither of us should be scared. But I cannot help to fear how the world, and mostly boys, will treat you or try to take something from you. I hate to admit it, it took me some time to pass that stage myself, but because of you, I will do everything in my power to prevent that, whether you want me to or not. But I will because I love you, and I hope you understand that. I won't admit this openly, but my hopes is that you will tell me that, well, I hope that you'll say that you're a lesbian, and the fact of boys coming around will no longer be a problem, or you getting pregnant before you turn the age of 21. Dear daughter, I am wondering, what will the day be like when your time comes to enter into this world? Who will you look like, mommy or me? What will you grow up to be? Will you pursue your dreams? Will you do everything you can be to be happy and succeed? I hope so, because I will stand by you. As long as it's legal, I will stand by you, whatever you choose to do. 
and I will stand by you and support you because I'm your daddy and I love you. Dear daughter, I am bringing these words to an end, but that doesn't mean that I have no more to share because later I will have more. And now I just have to wait. I just can't wait to hold you, to love you, and to sing in soft lullaby tones to you. And as time goes on, to teach you, to guide you, to laugh and cry with you, to disagree with you, to inspire you, but most importantly, to be your daddy and to love you no matter what. Dear daughter, just, I just want you to know, in case you haven't realized it yet, I love you. And if I haven't told you that today, I hope I showed you that every day in some small way. And you know that I do, because I do love you. With all my love and the blessings on your head, your daddy. Welcome to the stage, Mr. Donald Levin. Thank you for that introduction, which embarrasses me and makes me think you were talking about someone else. Um, my grandson, uh, when he was alive, went to the New York State School for the Blind in Batavia, New York, uh, which was a terrific school. Uh, it was not just for, for blind kids anymore, uh, but it was for multiply handicapped kids uh, because a lot of the blind kids were, were mainstream. Um, so they, they were mostly focusing on, um, it was a residential school, mostly focusing on kids for, uh, uh, who had a variety of uh, disabilities. <clears throat> and every year they would have a prom. Um, and all the parents would come and all the, all the kids would come and we, everybody would get dressed up. The kids would get dressed up. We'd play music. Uh, everybody would dance. Um, and um, the first prom after 9-11, uh, um, they uh, put giant cutouts around the room uh, saying, United we stand. It was a, it was a very sort of touching thing. Uh, you remember how everybody how how everybody felt after 9/11. <clears throat> so this is a um, this is a poem called Prom Night at the New York State School for the Blind. How well these children understand the usefulness of music. They feel it in their fragile bones, bounce to the beat of Bob Seger, shake for Leanne Womack, twist with Chubby Checker and jump the cotton-eyed Joe, whirling in wheelchairs, springing in the arms of parents, sisters, teachers, aides gathered for the yearly party. Giant cutouts taped hand to paper hand line the edges of the school gym in an endless chain of bold figures. Their theme tonight, United We Stand, Red, white, and blue, the colors of grown-up dresses and bow ties. And not caring how this theme was born, they scream in glee as clean as rain, with mouths gaping wide as jaws, allow to roar like foghorns, squeal like birds, the words known only to themselves. They raise elated faces toward the speakers where the music floods out like a churning upstate river, and beam and scream and teach us all they can about the perfect joy of being alive at this moment. Thank you.
So now our next presenter that I'm bringing forward, she is a boss lady and she is in charge. Mrs. Diana Catherine Plopper. You are just way over the top, dude. Wow, you did theater, didn't you? Yeah, I can tell. Uh, so um, this is Chasing the Enemy. It must have been kismet or fate or something. But when I got up that morning, I, started to find, I was startled to find my pet parakeet, Destiny, had escaped from her cage. I don't remember forgetting to click the latch closed the night before after feeding her, but I can't really be sure. I was pretty hammered. It had been a long day at the office, and I allowed myself a little social sedative therapy to help me forget. A friend called just as I was leaving the office, asked me out for drinks, and long story short, the bird was now gone, and I was enduring a serious headache, the likes of which haven't been experienced since my failed attempt at running with the bulls. But that's another story. I looked everywhere for the ridiculous little bird, following tiny tufts of blue down feathers around my living room. It's not that I particularly liked the bird. She was a gift from my younger brother, a one-time wannabe bird breeder. He promised me when he decided to get out of the bird breeding business to become a suspension bridge salesman that she was his last hatchling. The parakeets were gentle, fragile creatures. He promised me that she would die before the end of the month. After all, he said, she's already nearly a year old. How long can a parakeet possibly last? He asked me that question in a rhetorical, don't you dare try to answer me tone. So I took the bird. Two years later, and she was still hanging on, Squawking for her breakfast every morning like some demon from the ashes of a charred cathedral during the height of the Crusades. Destiny had deserted me, and although I was secretly elated at the prospect of the silent meditation such an event would bring to my life, I'm also an animal lover, which means it was imperative that I find her and make sure she wasn't injured. If she had found another human, or perhaps a parakeet family, to spend her time with, I would give her my blessing, of course. But until I knew her fate for sure, I couldn't let go of destiny. Not finding a trace of her in the apartment, but noticing that I'd left the window over the kitchen sink ajar, I ventured onto the snowy streets in search of her. I wasn't convinced that a parakeet could survive in Michigan's first real snow of the year, three inches of stupid white. She's a small bird, and I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep until I knew that I'd done all I could to bring destiny back to me, or at least witness her untimely demise, and therefore absolve myself of any further guilt. Out of some sort of strange, distorted desperation, I began singing a hungover version of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, thinking that a song might appeal to her while secretly hoping it wouldn't. Birds don't really make great pets. Well, at least not parakeets. They're noisy. They make a terrible mess in the bottom of the cage and aren't really all that snuggly. 
I'm more of a dog person myself, but once you take in an animal, just like little brothers, they become a part of your family, whether you truly enjoy having them around or not. <laughs> Without destiny, my life would be lacking something intangible. It was important that I did all I could to find her. I walked about seven blocks, then turned on my heels for the frigid walk back home when I spied her perched on a low branch of a nearby tree. She was easy to spot, blue fluff on a three-inch line of pure white. When she saw me, she immediately began singing a beautiful rendition of some classic hymn, I think, though I'm not sure where she would have ever heard it. I'm a country music fan myself. As I stood watching her, gently coaxing her down to me, for truly, she was a part of my family. A bystander of indiscriminate origin sidled up to me and said, What you doing there? I have to get her to come to me, I replied, keeping my eyes on the bird. Why? asked the bystander. What's so special about such a little bird? It's destiny. I invited her in and life would be lost to me without her. Huh said the bystander, looking first to me and ump at the bird with unabashed confusion. Destiny, upon hearing my declaration, sincere in its tenor, flew down to my left shoulder, where she sat contented in her life's validation. Well, what do you know, said the bystander. It looks like destiny has got your back. The bystander walked away as I felt the sickening warmth of bird poop seep into my sweater. <laughs> I'd like to bring forth Nicole Castle Kelly. This one's called Standing Watch on a Hot Summer Night. You'll see why. Shrieks of delight, splattering sunbeams, summertime fun in a child's mind. Playtime is endless, tilt-a-whirls and water balloon fights. Night comes too soon. Out of the woods, Fireflies and mist, howls and croaks, alive. Twelve standing firm on wet grass, hot breath on the back of their necks. Don't look. Each one holding sweaty hands, plump little fingers. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Billy on over. We can't let it through. We can't let it through. We can't let it through. Don't let it through. Please come on down, Miss Rebecca Schweizer. This next one is a poem, and it's titled, Tippy Hedron Doesn't Corner the Market on Creepy Birds. 
I was only four the first time the blackbird pecked me with its beak until I cracked open. It sang me no soft song. It had no regard for my small frame. It left a single plume, inky black, feather light, and so sharp it sliced through the ground and sent me falling. When I landed, I put up walls, stacked as high as I could reach. I cried my own moat around my personal castle, but birds can fly, and I was too small. It returned to peck at old wounds until the castle walls fell and the moat overflowed. I received a two-year reprieve before the hawk came. The moat had run dry, the castle walls remained rubble. The hawk did not peck, it did not shed sharp feathers. It circled and swooped, it dove down in warning whooshes, it perched and sat and stared, it screeched and startled. I resigned myself to my ominous companion. We waited together for the blackbird. After a four-year spiral, the hawk dove and crashed in the distance. Where it landed, the blackbird sat upon a pale blue egg. The baby hatched and grew, a frenzy of thick black feathers sprouting until they blotted out the sun and sliced away the trees. The baby vanished from within its feathers, which fell to the ground, dividing the earth into more manageable chunks. The hawk's call echoed shrill across the sky as it returned to its post, hovering over me on the little sliver of soil that remained. Please welcome warmly to our stage, Mr. Patrick Gibson. The next one is, is a true story, and it, it was published last year by Flexible Persona. It's called The Announcement. I'm waiting for mom to smile, nothing. We'd run from the bus, expectation fueling our steps. Mom had said, come right home after school. I have something to tell you. We're going to Disney World, I confided to my little sis. We'll ride the pirate ship and explore Cinderella's castle. The school bus became our monorail as decayed apartments and boarded storefronts morphed into Adventureland. I'm watching mom now. Hope dithers. SeaWorld? County Fair? Half-price matinee? I glance at Sis, but she's staring at the floor. Mom clears her throat. Do you guys understand what a divorce is? I bring him up the way I always bring him up, even though he hates it, but he's like the little brother I didn't want. Faster than a rolling O, more powerful than a cat than a silent E. Can able to leap a capital T in a single bound. It's a bunch of unused words. It is just an unconventional rhyming plan. Look out here, y'all! It's Anthony Brown, the Poetry Man. Now I'm gonna read you something that I wrote earlier this week. I wrote a book a couple years ago called Rush of Emotions. It was so intact with my life story that I thought it was a little too personal to keep on the market, so I took it off. So this year I decided 
since I wrote Rorschach Diaries and my other book, Take My Shoes, which is all consistent of my life, why not bring back Rush of Emotions, but remaster it. So this new poem is called Useless, and it's going to be in that book. I've laid all my tokens in someone, only to come out just as broken as I was upon entry. I've placed love in a heart and poured adoration into a relationship only for mine to be destroyed and suffer catastrophic and cataclysmic damage. I'm worthless. I've spoken words of encouragement to build a broken confidence only for the faith in me to vaporize and diminish like I meant nothing. I've embraced many with the brotherly love and care only to feel the sting of blades entering my back. I've bandaged my heart after every breakage, but my soul is expiring on band-aids to stop the internal bleeding, to cease the festering scream that dwells down within the acids of my stomach. I'm hopeless. I've lent out my hand, gave my heart, weaved my way into friendship only to step into ruin and tragedy and bipolar-like symptoms of wanting to be loved or left alone simultaneously. I have convinced my way into a deception that I could love everyone and influenced my way into a brokenness that can't be repaired because I've been locked up inside this cage of hate and I'm surrounded by the many names that I expose my love to only to feel their murderous hatred in return. I'm helpless. I've concealed my pain and have burned my stress on a fire five stages past burning only to see that all that I was distributing was never enough for the other soul. I've laid out promise after promise to love, but mine was not enough because infidelity snuck in and screwed me, happily bringing me into a tragic situation. The love was pain, well disguised. Lie after lie and farewell was the only dispersed truth, and along with that, you stole all my tears. I'm loveless. The tears have ceased, and I'm building a wall surrounding my trust by cemented bricks, unbreakable to the public while I live privately, developing my stone-cold mentality, and all the while, I'll keep bandaging my heart together. We'll make it through, and all the while, I'll continue being worthless, hopeless, helpless, loveless. I'm useless. I bring forth Mr. Callie Kivy. Welcome to these eastern shores, Gazran of Iraq, to peninsulas by fresh waters, verdant trees, many colored delight. From deserts of your home, cradled valleys of yore. May you find respite from terror, too many years of war, too many years at war, of twisted ideas, evil lies, seeds of crime. Welcome to these western shores, Le Van Toc of Vietnam, carrying memories of people too many years fought and died. For freedom to live, to grow happy dreams expressed into this melting pot of generations, a mixed salad bowl dressed with ingredients that nourish our many one souls. 
Welcome to these sanctuary shores, Albert of Germany, escaping tattoos of hatred declared by hunger, bullets, ovens. Liberate and flourish your growing genius within, a will to see beyond despair, destruction of the immediate, of sin, free to create proofs of the universal sublime. Beware the welcome to these foreign shores in Kenge of Africa, respecting dear ancestors once forced from village to come, against their spirited will in darkness of night, yet still summon profound dignity, courage to resist, to fight. Contradicted ideas of equality, happiness pursued goals. Original people of the Iroquois nation, the Azteca, Lakota, and Carib, long ago welcomed strangers who settled your home shores, for which they gave you and their gods many thanks, while bringing diseases, manifest destiny, deceit in the ranks. May your survival be a testament for all time. Dr. John Telford. This uh, particular poem um, is about a race that I ran in Europe. Uh, I was racing against the European champion, matter of fact. His name was uh, uh, Giovanni Scavo, and I raced him in the city of Bologna uh, in, in, uh, in, in 1957. So I call this poem, Ode to Giovanni Scavo. Uh, a good listening piece for this poem would be uh, Gard Marx's uh, In Italian Overture, Opus 49, if you've ever heard that. You know, I, a lot of times I like to put uh, music you know, uh, in some of my uh, poetry as suggestions uh, for, for listening uh, before or after or even during a poem. In 1957, in summertime Bologna, upon Reunione Internazionale, I defeated Scavo in the Quattrocento Matri. I was 21. He'd just turned 19. Atletica Legeras Infante Il Terrible. Before the race, the sold-out crowd had chanted Scavo really loud. Afterward, we traded pins and promised that we'd write. From Italia, by slow freighter, came this letter two months later. John and Gio run one two in Rome Olympics 1960. Just before, I'd read he'd driven fast and far in his Ferrari toward the reaches of the marches from the famed eternal city crashing high up on a mountain near the heights of the Abruzzi, and there died in his Ferrari. Italia mourned her campione, the champion runner, Giovanni. It's a true story. 
Thanks for listening to the Dovetail Open Mic Podcast. These are some of the highlights of an open mic night at the Dovetail in Warren. Open mic nights are held at the Dovetail Tuesdays and Sundays at 8 p.m. For more information, go to facebook.com slash dovetaildetroit. This podcast has been brought to you by My Warren. To hear more podcasts like this, visit mywarren.org. Again, that's miwarren.org.